Good morning, good morning. We are so glad you guys are here to worship with us this morning. Can we just can we just take a moment to give it up for just the praise God this morning? I mean, we have just been in the He's in the house this morning. I can promise you that He is in the house this morning. You know, I just a quick note, and and I just I give it up to these dancers. You know, many of you don't know this, and those these dancers they come and perform for us and. It is so rewarding. It's just so awesome to see their expressions. If you guys don't get a chance in the back rows to see how they're praising during their dance. Um, but those kids were in Fayetteville at dance competition last night until about midnight. And uh, got home late and got here this morning to, to come and, and bless us with their worship. So I just thank you to uh, Miss Robin's studio uh, of dance and my wife. Uh, for the hard work that she puts in uh, with those kids. Just, uh, it is just awesome to see that this morning. Let's get into this. Before we get too far along, I, though, I want everyone to turn around just in your seat and look back at that box that's on the back screen right there. You see that box right there? That's live feed going on right now that on Facebook Live, we are streaming live for Pastor Andrew. You know, he's at home in his footy pajamas, and we just all wave at Pastor Andrew and say, hey, Pastor Andrew. And there's probably some other folks watching uh, this morning. We are, we are blessed to have the media team working uh, with that kind of stuff. We're excited about this new sermon series called Chain Reaction. And we're going to jump right into it because I've got a lot of stuff to cover, and uh, I don't want to keep you guys and have you guys fall asleep on me, so I'm going to do my best to keep us on track today. But uh, this new sermon series, I'm really excited about it. I'm excited about what this sermon series is doing because it's, it's challenging. It's a challenge, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to challenge me personally, and I hope it challenges you as well. But the, the sermon series chain reaction is we want to start a chain reaction. A chain reaction is what we want to start. And to define what that really means, chain reaction is a series of events, each caused by the previous one. So in order for that chain reaction to happen, you have to have an event, right? You have to have something that starts it. We're hoping that through this sermon series, this starts that chain reaction. We're going to be kind of focusing in on, a, on, on, a, on an equation. It's a foundational equation, and it comes out of a book that I hope you all will go out and find and read. It's called Becoming a Contagious Christian. Uh, Bill Hybels and Mark Littleberg are the authors of that book. And in that book, they have outlined this equation. And I'm gonna, we're going to dive into this equation. We're going to focus on this equation this morning. And the equation is simply this. High potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equals maximum impact. So to say it again, high potency, close proximity, clear communication equals maximum impact. We're going to be dissecting this equation over the next several weeks. And, and our goal is really to find some ways for us to be really more effective in sharing the joy that we've found in Christ. That's right. Believe it or not, folks, <laughs> believe it or not, we are supposed to be sharing. We're supposed to be spreading the good news, right? That is our job. We're supposed to be spreading the good news. But today, I want to zoom in, and we're going to focus right on the first part of that equation, and that is high potency. Now, when you hear that, those words, high potency, what, what comes to mind? For me, right away, my lips puckered up. I'm like, 
high, that's, that food's high. Pot, that's potent. That's potent. Because my mind automatically goes to food, right? I mean, every time it's like potency. But when you really look at that word, high potency, you know, I always relate it to food. I, I can't help that. But the Oxford Dictionary describes high potency. And, and I, I, let me back up a second. I, I thought, when I first heard it, I thought, high potency, that kind of gives it a negative little connotation to me for some reason. I don't know why. But when I read the definition, it makes a lot more sense. It's more subtle. The power of something to influence or make an impression. The power of something to influence or make an impression. Something that has high potency would mean that there are results associated with that, right? If something's high potent, we're expecting to see the results of that. I kind of think about, you know, weed killer, right? I mean, I'm, when I'm mixing up my weed killer, now I make it potent. I make it potent. Why? Because when I spray it, I want to watch it wither, like right now. You know what I mean? I want to see results because I want it to be potent. <clears throat> so what, what would you think of the opposite of high potency would be? If something is not very potent or not highly potent, you might say, yeah, it kind of blends well, right? It kind of it blends in. Or you may even say... It's neutral, right? It's neutral. Let me ask this question about your faith. Would you define your faith as having potency? Would you define your lifestyle as having a highly def potent lifestyle? Would, would, you, would that characterize your lifestyle and your faith? I want us to kind of think through that question. I want you to have that question on the back of your mind as we go through this lesson today. And we're going to be spending most of our time to this morning in the book of Matthew. So everybody turn to your Bibles, pull your Bibles out. And we want to go to Matthew chapter 5. That's the first book in the New Testament. We want to go to the New Testament. We're going to be spending most of our time right here in Matthew this morning. But we're going to start out in chapter 5, verse 13. And uh, we're going to focus in on this. And this is what Jesus was preaching and teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. This is some of the, 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 Jesus was really pouring into the teaching at this point and the greatest sermon he ever gave, the Sermon on the Mount. And here is what he had to say. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. I love how the message paraphrases this and the words it uses and the descriptive nature of these words and the picture that it paints. Let's look at the message version here. Verse 13, let me tell you what, why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. Man, I love that. I love the way that says that. You are here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. I mean, is that not just cut and dry right there? 
I love the way that says it. As I was doing my studies, I went to the Life Application Bible, and I, I dove into this, this verse here a little bit. And, and, and it adds a lot to this. It says, if a seasoning has no flavor, and I know we have a lot of cooks in the audience. If a seasoning has no flavor, it has no value, right? If the, you're not going to add seasoning to something if it doesn't enhance or it doesn't do anything. It has no value. If Christians make no effort to affect the world around them, then they are of little value to God. Pretty heavy. I'm telling you, as I studied this and leaned into this scripture, man, it was very convicting to me. Salt of the earth. You know, when we hear about salt of the earth, and we hear about Jesus referencing salt, you know, we think of salt maybe a little bit differently today, but man, it is the same today as it was then when he said it. We don't use salt maybe in all the same ways that they used salt back then, unless you had country ham this morning for breakfast, and you really understand how they used to use salt, amen? Because that is some salty, salty, salty ham. But not too many years ago, salt was utilized much differently than it is today. And they thought of it a lot differently. As a matter of fact, you may not know this interesting fact. Write this down. It might be on uh, a Trivial Pursuit. (laughs) You may may get asked this question on a quiz one day and you'll know the answer. The word salary actually was derived from the word salt. Salt was so highly regarded that it was used in ancient times as a form of currency. Man, do I wish that was the case today. (laughs) Can I get amen? I would have me some salt, right? We should all agree that salt really represents these three things. And even today, and this is the part we need to make sure we understand, that Jesus spoke these words so many years ago, and he was talking about salt And even though the people he was talking to may have understood it differently, it still applies even today. And salt does three things. And we're going to put these up here. Salt adds flavor. We would agree that salt purifies and salt preserves. Three things salt does. Did it back then? Does it today? Still used today for the very same purposes. So we say, let's start with the first one. Salt adds flavor. How does salt add flavor, right? How many of you like to just have a bowl of salt you know, every once in a while, right? Oh, we do have a few in the audience that like just to go ahead and dive into that bowl of salt. Yeah, my dad was the same way. Uh, <clears throat> but salt by itself is really, for the most, most part, not real tasty, right? Salt actually enhances flavors that already exist. That's why we use salt. When we live out our faith, it's the same way. We add a little flavor. We enhance life. We add a little zing to life. As Emeril Lagasse would say, we bam, right? Bam. Every time he added to his his soup, he would bam. Salt purifies. The Romans uh, believed that salt was the purest of all things. The purest of all things. The reason they thought it was the purest of all things is because they said it comes from the sun and the sea. So salt purifies. Who has a salt purification system in their house or water purification system in their house? What does it use? Salt, right? Salt purifies. The third one, salt preserves. We all know this. Again, country ham, it is preserved with salt. 
salt was used to keep things from, as we say here in North Carolina, from going to the bad, right? We don't want them to go to the bad. So we, they added salt. They salt cured them. They preserved them. See, Jesus used this word very carefully. And Jesus said, our job was to be that salt. He's calling us to be that preserver of our family, of our friends, of our loved ones, the people at work. He's calling us to be the primary preservative. This is the part where I step on toes and my toes are all bruised from studying this word. I'm telling you, this, is, this cut deep with me. But I got to tell you, one of the biggest problems our church has today is too many of us are comfortable with just blending in as much as possible. Not really impacting anyone, not really adding any bam to my life, not adding any zing to the lives, not really worrying about purifying anybody, and we really aren't preserving any of our relationships. The truth is we're really kind of content with that bland cup of soup with no salt. And the worst part about it is the more we consume that lifestyle of that bland cup of salt, the more we keep eating the, 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 unfla- the, the saltless life and the, the, the bland flavors start to taste normal. Does this sound familiar? It does to me. And my mom is here today, and I'm so glad she is. But growing up, my dad was the one who liked to have a bowl of salt every once in a while. You know, so she would cook and she knew that no matter how much salt she put in the recipe, he was going to go ahead and go to town with some salt. So she stopped, stopped, stopped cooking with it pretty much because she knew he was going to just add to it. So I kind of grew up understanding that there was no salt in the food and it didn't bother me. I got used to it. And the same is true with the way we live. If we get comfortable with that, we consume that bland soup and we continue to consume that bland lifestyle of just blending in or being neutral. That's what happens. We get used to it and it becomes normal. Make no mistake, guys. Make no mistake about it. Jesus chose his words very carefully. And I'm telling you, I'm always just amazed at how the words you read back that Jesus said that were written in the Bible back then are so relevant today. But back then, you got to remember, Jesus is is teaching, okay? He's on the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching, uh, you know, these masses of people are gathered around him. And many of those people would have been fishermen. That was a common occupation back then. So they would have been fishermen. Well, what do fishermen know about salt? Guess what, guys? They did not have a freezer to put their fish, their catch in. They had to preserve it, right? So these fishermen knew when they said that word salt, it, it, it caught their attention, Similar to how we think of electricity today. And I'm telling you, I understand this better than most because I've made a career in the utility business. i got to tell you, I've seen the people at their worst when their power goes out and they can't keep their refrigerator on, right? They want to keep their food from spoiling. But the truth is, guys, our world is eroding around us. And Jesus is calling us to be the salt to preserve and to bring out the God flavors of this earth. So salt adds flavor, salt purifies, salt preserves. We all agree. 
Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus did not stop there with the salt. He continues to drive this point home by adding it, putting it another way. He uses two words that everyone even then and even now can relate to. He uses salt and light. So let's continue. Matthew 14. Jesus says, you, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. If any of you have ever flown in an airplane at night, you cannot hide where the population exists, right? There's lights everywhere. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds, period. Right? That's where we like to stop. Where they will see your good deeds. See what I did. Period. But Jesus didn't leave the period there. Jesus says, and praise your Father in heaven. Praise your Father in heaven. These deeds that you're doing are for His glory not ours. So we've covered salt. Now let's talk about light. And I'm going to try this. This is going to be uh, an object lesson. You know, Andrew brings stuff on the, on the stage all the time. You know, he brings the whiteboard a couple weeks ago, does fancy drawing. I got to do something. So I'm going to try this. Hopefully this works uh, or you'll get the impression um, to understand this. But, uh, you know, when we talk about light, you kind of have to contrast that with what is light do. It kind of illuminates the darkness, right? So in understanding that, I kind of want to give you guys some, an object lesson here. Understand what darkness looks like. Now, I know you all have been in the dark before and probably, you know, spent, you know, time in a place that was really, really dark. But for us to know what darkness really truly means, what, what it looks like, you'd have to dive to a depth of a thousand meters into the ocean. That thousand meter depth that you dove into the ocean would put you below the aphotic zone, which is called the midnight zone. No natural light penetrates to these depths. If you're like me, if you're like me, I don't like the dark, right? It's not so much that I'm afraid of the dark. I'm just afraid of what's in the dark, right? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm just afraid of what's in the dark. <clears throat> but I, I think it's important for us to understand the dark because when we're in the dark, we have no depth perception, right? When our eyes are, are covered or we're in that dark place, what's the first thing that we notice that we can't see, right? We can't see. But the other thing that we notice, if you've ever been in the dark, and I mean really in the dark, your other senses get really perked up, like your ears. You start hearing things. What was that? Oh, I heard something. You know, if you're seeing in the daytime, you would never even notice it. But when it's dark, our other senses start to pick up. But our depth perception is, is off, and we can't see, and we become kind of frozen from our, any movement. So I want us to try and go there. I want everyone to try and go there. 
Okay, the fire marshal may get upset with me, but I'm going to try this anyways. We're going to have an object lesson. So I want everyone to close your eyes. Close them tight. Close them tight. Nobody peeking. This is just like, you know, in that prayer, every, every eye closed, every head bowed, no looking. Everybody's eyes closed. <clears throat> As you have your eyes closed, I want everyone to just keep them closed. And I want you to think about that dark place, that darkest place you've ever been. The darkest place you've ever been. Studies have actually shown that the human body needs light to actually stay sane. Without light, we lose our sense of time. And for long periods, of, for long periods without light causes the humans to hallucinate and eventually go insane. Don't worry, we won't keep your eyes closed that long. The actual definition of darkness is the partial or total absence of light. Likewise, the definition of light is the natural agent that stimulates sight and makes things visible. Now, as you open your eyes, you'll notice the lights in the auditorium have been shut off. And you'll also notice, go ahead and open your eyes, you'll also notice that I have a candle a light. It's hard to imagine this darkness when we have light around us all the time, artificial light all the time. See, darkness is the absence of light, and the light is what allows us to penetrate the darkness. And as we penetrate the darkness, and as light starts to, to, to penetrate this room, you'll start to be able to see. Now I can see people next to me. I can see people in the audience here. The light illuminates the darkness, and the darkness can't overcome it. The darkness doesn't put this light out, right? The room is dark, but it can't put the light out because the light penetrates through the darkness. Now, if we were to stay here for a long period of time like this, believe it or not, sooner or later, your night vision would kick in, and you would be able to see much more clearly. And as they bring the lights back up, I just want you to, I wanted this to impress upon you how the light penetrated, and that light right there penetrating right now into my eyes, but the light penetrates the darkness. It penetrates through the darkness. Darkness doesn't overcome the light. The light penetrates the darkness. In John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, in him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness cannot overcome the light. See, when we dwell in the darkness, we have no ability to judge perspective. We have nothing to help us see what's around us. The light is the guiding force that allows us to penetrate the darkness and it reveals to us our surroundings. Even a small amount of light, the lights that we have up here, small amount of light, but it penetrates through darkness. It says in Google, I had to Google this, but it says the human eye can see a single candle burning for up to 30 miles away. 30 miles away. If I did my geography right, that's almost from Mount Olive to Dunn. 
that you could see in total darkness, you could see a single candle flame. Light dispels darkness. It penetrates darkness. We said that. 1 Peter 2.9 says in the New Living Translation, it says, You are a chosen people, God's holy nation. This is so you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. The other thing light does is it illuminates, right? It illuminates and illuminates truth. It allows us to see clearly. So what's the point? What, what is the point here? We need to be saltier. We said that. We need to be brighter, right? We need to be saltier and brighter. Got it, right? No. There's much more at stake here. There's much more at stake here. See, Jesus began his ministry saying, I am the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, there was a shift. What did he say in Matthew 5? We just read it a few minutes ago. You are the light of the world. Jesus is handing that baton off to us. He's, he's giving us this responsibility, and we shouldn't take it lightly, no pun intended. Maybe you're thinking, you know what, that sounds good and all, but I just kind of want to blend in, you know. Don't want to be in the old spotlight, you know. Don't want to be in the spotlight. Well, you guys are missing the point of where the light comes from. Amen. That light comes from the inside out, not the outside in. <clears throat> so let me ask you this question again. Do you feel like your faith has potency? Does your faith have potency? Have we lost our saltiness? Have we put a, a cover over our light? If we're not willing to share the gift of eternal life with those around us, we have to really ask ourselves, does my faith have any potency at all? Does my faith really have any potency at all? Why is this so hard for us? Why is it so difficult? I can tell you why. There's three reasons why. One of them is, is really probably the biggest reason that everyone would agree upon. The second one's going to step on some toes some more, and uh, we're going to get into these a little bit. But number one reason why I think that we have a hard time with this is that we lack confidence, right? We lack confidence. We're afraid of getting it wrong. We're afraid that if we go out there and profess something that we don't know every answer to every question, they're going to think I'm dumb. They're going to think I don't know what I'm talking about, right? We lack confidence. Second one, this one hurts now. I'm going to tell you. We're hypocrites. We're hypocritical. I've been studying through this message, and I tell you, I mean, this is the part of the message that really hit me hard. And um, I, I'm going to reference a book called uh, The Unchristian. It's by uh, David Kin Kinneman. Um, really good book about a lot of re detailed research that's been done. Um, but, you know, it's honest. It's, it's, it's obvious to me once I read through some of these statistics. Here's, here's one of them up on the screen. I believe I got this one for you. 84% of young nonbelievers say they know a Christian personally. 
That's a pretty good number. 84% say that they know someone who is a proclaimed follower of Christ. Here's the part of the, 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 the numbers that really bother me. Only 15% of them thought the lifestyles of those Christ followers were significantly different from the norm. Think about that. 84% of young believers said they know a Christian personally, but yet only 15% of them thought that they lived a lifestyle that was any different than everyone else. In fact, they did a study in 2007 that revealed that most lifestyle activities of those of born-again Christians people who are followers of Christ, who believe that Christ died on the cross for their sins and, and, and that he is their savior, born-again Christians, lifestyle activities were statistically equivalent to those non-born-again. Did you guys hear that? Statistically equivalent lifestyle activities. What does that mean? That means we're not living any different than an unbeliever in the eyes of those unbelievers. We aren't doing anything different. Our lifestyle choices that we make, you go through the list, and they did an exhaustive study on this. Watches this type of movie, check, check. On through lifestyle choices. There's statistically no difference. That should bother us. That should bother all of us who are Christ followers. How are we different? How are we living our life differently? The third one may hurt some feelings, but at the end of the day, we lack concern. We lack concern. We're fine with standing idly by while those around us decay with the world and die in sin and do absolutely nothing about it. You know, the world says we don't need to really get involved right? The world says if it doesn't affect you, it's okay to ignore it. The world says, mind your own business, right? But Christ says, you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Are you enhancing the God flavors in your daily life? Are you enhancing those God flavors with the folks around you? I got to tell you, balance is important, though, because as we said, <laughs> too much salt is a country ham, right? <laughs> too much salt's not good. And hey, if I was to take this light right here and shine it in the eyes of people in the audience and it shoots you right in the eyes, that's not pleasant either, right? Shining light in your eyes blinds you. It doesn't make you, it's not fun. It's not comfortable. So what do we do? Well, good news is we've got two-ton Bibles that everyone's going to pick up on their way out the doors here of the church, and you can use those two-ton Bibles to go to work Monday and beat your fellow non-believing workers over the head with it, right? No, no. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about balance, right? We want to have balance. Remember what we said about salt. Salt enhances the flavor, right? doesn't become the flavor. It enhances it. And we also said that that small amount of light that small amount of light can, can penetrate the darkness and be seen from a long way off. 
So a couple things, and we're, we're running short on time, but a couple things I want to cover with you is how do we do, what do we need? What do we need to do to change this? A couple things. Number one, we need to be credible, right? We need to have credibility. If you're going to go out into this world, you better have some credibility. Credibility comes from experience and earning the right to be heard, right? The first day you meet somebody, do you have credibility with them? Probably not. Unless they know you, there's really no way for, the, for them to say, I believe this guy is truthful and honest, right? It's difficult. Be credible. The second one we need to have is off, off, we need to be authentic, right? A church poll was taken and it was asked all these Christians, thousands of Christians, what their number one characteristics look for in a, in a preacher. And the number one answer by far was sincerity. They want to be real. I just want people to be real. Jesus pointed this out big time. Jesus knew this. And when he talked in Matthew, later on in Matthew, in chapter 23, Jesus was, was pointing this out in the Pharisees. He pointed to them and he called them out. He called them out big time. And it says in verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. These are the religious folks. These would be the religious elite of that time. Woe to you, Jesus says, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but the inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside may also be clean. Later in that Chapter down in verse 28, he says, So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus called it out. Be authentic. Clean up the inside first. The last one is be sacrificial. I love the group we have here at the bridge who serve every Sunday and know what that sacrifice looks like. Know what that serving heart looks like. <clears throat> the truth is, those who don't know Christ aren't really impressed with your theological knowledge and how many scriptures you can quote. They're not really impressed with that. Or what kind of church you attend, or whether or not they allow you to wear jeans to church, or where you have to wear a tie to church, doesn't really impress them too much. Most of them are, what impresses them most is your willingness to sacrifice for their sake, unselfishly, without strings attached. When we give up ourselves and our most valuable thing we have is our time, and we give that time without wanting anything in return, that's when they're blown away. That's what makes the biggest impact is the sacrifice. As we said earlier, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The sermon series is going to help us with this, and I hope that this has been some, some, some help uh, for, for that. And we're going to continue this on uh, in the next coming weeks, and we're going to break down this equation a little further to help us start that chain reaction. I will tell you that if we share the gospel and we, we don't have all the answers, guess what? 
it's okay. It's okay. Because I don't have all the answers. Pastor Andrew doesn't have all the answers. Pastor Jim Wall, our senior pastor, doesn't have all of the answers. But I tell you what's very hard for anyone to dispute, very hard for anyone to challenge, is our testimony, our story. Nobody can challenge my story because it's my story. If we're living on our faith and we look different to people and we seem different, there's something different about us. You know what? We may not have to approach as many people. We may not have to hit them over the head with that two-ton Bible. They may start coming to us and say, man, there's something about you, man. I don't know what it is, but there's something about something different about you. That's an, that's an invitation. That's an opportunity for us to say, hey, let me tell you what's different about me. Let me tell you what, what, what changed my life. That's the story, our story. But if we continue to blend in the world and not add any salt, and we, we cover our light up so that we just have enough light for us to work with, and we don't allow that light to shine, we really won't have any potency at all. In the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at this equation and we're going to dig in and we're hopefully going to equip you guys with the tools to start this chain reaction. And there's some things that we're going to be doing as a church coming up that I want to tell you about that are exciting. The first one is we're having a church-wide fast. A church-wide fast that's going to be starting on March 31st. And uh, I just want to give you guys uh, some comfort about that. Um, fasting is something that it, it calls us in the Bible to do, prayer and fasting. And uh, many of you may not have ever fasted before, and uh, we would like to come alongside of you and help you with that uh, and what that looks like. But, you know, the biggest thing with fasting is, is we want to replace that something in our life that we are accustomed to doing. And we want to replace that with spending some time, quality time in prayer. That's really what fasting is. Now, whether that looks like, you know, you're going to not eat food for a certain length for the 21 days, and it's going to last for 21 days leading up to Easter is what our intention is. And this is a time we want to get serious. We want to dive into this fast, and we want you to, to participate. It doesn't have to be food, but we, we encourage it to be something that kind of creates a discomfort by it. Coming, coming out of your lifestyle, right? Coming away from it, coming away from the table. We're going to push that aside. Uh, and if it's a meal or whatever it may be, maybe social media. I know a lot of people have tried that because that does cause a lot of pain in some people's lives, amen, when they have to pull that, that social media away from them. But we are going to participate in that starting on March 31st, and that's going to carry us right up to Easter meal, right? So we can come off of our fast and celebrate with our family Easter. So I want you to know about that. So that's one way that we can start acting a little differently. You know, maybe that's the, that's the opportunity that, that, that will present itself for you to, to share. Someone's going to notice, right? Someone's going to notice you're doing something different and you're going to be in prayer and you're going to be acting differently. And you're going to be focused in and dived in. You know, you're going to be spending some quality time with Jesus. And uh, I just think this is a great thing for us to do as a church family. And the third, the second thing is Easter invite packets. Hey guys, this is the time of year. There's two times a year statistically that people who do not normally attend church, who do not follow Christ, who are not a believer, are open to that happening. Two times a year, Christmas and Easter. 
So as you guys leave, you may have picked them up on your way and you should have received some uh, invite packets. They look like this or in a little, little bag. They're out on the tables as you leave. I encourage you guys to grab these. We are also going to be filling out names on the back. We did this last year. And if you have some people in your life that you're like, you know what, I really would like to just, just put them on the list and, and pray for them. And we want you to write that on the list. Put this somewhere on your refrigerator or somewhere where you can kind of keep it in front of you. Also on the back, it gives you some great ideas to, to invite some folks to church and to be that salt and that light into the world. Thank you guys so much for being here this morning. Let us pray. <clears throat> Lord, I just lift this up this morning. I, I just pray that these words that I've, I've spoken this morning uh, have, have made some impressions, Lord, have started that action that may create that chain reaction, Lord. I just pray that your words uh, were, were spoken today, Lord. I pray that, that we, just, we just consume ourselves with you, Lord. This has been a, a, a very difficult week for a lot of folks in the church family. Um, there's pain involved that people are suffering right now, Lord. And I just pray that, that you will put your hand, your healing hand, uh, on those in need this morning. I just, I've heard some, several people this morning have lifted up prayer concerns, Lord. And I just, I just pray that, uh, that your presence was here to this morning and that, that my words were your words and they needed to be heard, Lord. I just, I lift you up this morning. We ask all these things. We ask for a safe week moving forward. We praise you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we say, amen.